Because until we can recognize that we can't change the past, we can't put the genie back in the bottle, um, there is tremendous closure in that um, where we can set our energy, our mind, um, our psyche, which I see is different, um, on really moving ahead and, and moving towards the possibilities, whatever those are, um, and to not try to focus on if only I could put the genie back in the bottle. Welcome back to the Isle of Misfits, or if it's your first time here, just plain old welcome to you. My name is Nancy Carmichael, and I am the chief misfit around here and your humble host, and I'm so glad to have you join me today because we are finishing up the fourth of a four-part series, see how that works, uh, called Hope in the madness we've been talking about craziness we've been talking about angriness we've been talking about sadness and today we're going to talk about weakness and um like i said we're going to do this it's not just me oh no 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 i have someone that's uh well qualified not because he's angry mad or sad or crazy uh but because he's an i keep introducing him as an all-around smart guy, which he is. But today, um, I wanted to talk with him a little bit about why I say that. So um, before we jump right into our weakness discussion, first, I just want to say hi. Hey, Bob. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. And I am really thrilled to have you here. I don't know if I've said that out loud. Well, to you, I've said it, but to these people, I just want to say it for the record. Oh, thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this series. It's been a bunch of fun just uh, having a conversation, really. It has. And yeah, and I love a good conversation. You love a good conversation. In fact, I would call you a skilled conversationalist. So let's let's start there. You're more than that. You have, you have uh, somewhat of an eclectic background. So Let's talk about you for a little bit, Bob. Is that okay with you? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose we'll go there. So uh, if I had to sort of... So, who are you? Yeah, man? who's this Bob Red guy? So I normally introduce myself to people as an overeducated MBA with a chemistry degree. And I usually say, don't hold the MBA against me. Nice. Yeah. Yes. I like to describe myself as an undereducated type B perfectionist wannabe, but you know, <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. So, um, you know, raised a, in, um, the Washington DC area and, um, raised in a classic Protestant Pres Presbyterian, uh, home. Um, and, uh, in my teen years ran in with a certain crowd that, um, convinced me that um, God was a crutch and uh, convinced me rather thoroughly and um, won't get into my witness here today because perhaps for another conversation, but um, uh, my first year, my first semester at the University of Maryland uh, ran into uh, that crowd again, and um, some bad things happened, and sitting in the back of a church witnessing the funeral of one of the guys, um, Christ got a hold of me again and wasn't going to let me go this time and said, uh, you know, I said, okay, God, if you're real, 
um, reveal yourself to me and and God does not speak to me, but I heard a audible voice in my in my head that said, uh, "You're here, aren't you?" And uh, uh, came to Christ at that very moment, and uh, I was 17, and so nearly 50 years uh, later, uh, I am a devoted believer in Jesus Christ. Um, ran a couple divisions of multinational corporations from a career standpoint. I uh, had a startup company where um, my partner was a smart guy. I was sort of the money guy and um, uh, did well, sold it. Um, and probably the last 10 years or so have spent time with early stage and startup companies, being involved with them, running them, or some form of activity, giving back, I'd like to think. And uh, in that same 10-year time frame, um, kind of expecting to get back into the flow of corporate America, as it were. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, that wasn't the uh, path for me, according to the Lord. And I spent an enormous amount of my free time uh, in Scripture, reading commentaries, and getting a, uh, to having the wonderful opportunity to get a deeper understanding of um, the true and living God. So, in a sense, you've gone through your own kind of a personal seminary these past several years. Yeah, I really have, and it uh, it really uh, warms and thrills my heart, and it's a, a pure joy of mine. Well, it's a pure joy, really, to be discussing all these things with you, um, because your time is very valuable. You've had so many things inform your thinking um, from, obviously, your testimony of how you really came to know Jesus as a living God, and then all of the things that happened to you before that and after that, all of those things inform, I mean, that's true for all of us, right? Our experiences inform our thinking. And really, that's why we're here, is to talk about how we're viewing the world. We've discussed this before about worldview, yeah. how we approach it, how we approach the madness really has to do with our worldview. It really does. And, and, um, you know, we talked earlier before about the coherence theory and, and the idea of, um, uh, you know, logical consistency, empirical accuracy, and existential relevance. Um, another way I'd invite people to, and by the way, as um, we interact with each other in this world, um, as you said, our experiences and our uh, our upbringing and uh, everything that makes us who we are helps to shape our worldview. I, I just invite people to um, have uh, some measure for their worldview and to be open-minded to uh, uh, confirm it on the one hand, perhaps, or to challenge it on another. And there are four elements within that coherence theory Um that people really ought to look at. These are deep questions. Um, I'm not sure it's fit for this podcast, but um, we really ought to, uh, in our worldview, take a look at um, origin. Where do we come from? Uh, meaning, why are we here? Morality. What is, is there a real truth? And uh, if so, from whence it comes? And finally, our destiny. Um, where are we going? And every worldview out there um, 
has some distinct response to each of those four questions, uh, anywhere from nothing um, happens or there is no truth or there is no right or moral law to everywhere to where there very much is one and that is a true and living God. So um, I guess that's a teaser for another time uh, that uh, I think has helped me in in my uh, development of my worldview uh, to look at those four elements individually against the coherence theory and then collectively um, against the coherence theory. So each one matches up or it doesn't, and then how do they as a whole match up? And within that, I know it's a bit um, deep, but uh, in that is uh, an opportunity for us to look inside ourselves and really come to understand not what we uh, should believe because someone else has told us we should believe it, but what do we believe and why do we believe it and how does that fit um, in in the broader scheme? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I would love to dive even deeper into this. Uh, so, yeah, game on for that. Um, but I, I will say this as well. I think all along in at least these first three episodes and I think in this last episode as well, we've been talking about all of these things all along because however we see the madness and madness again it's it's a it's a big broad term and make of it what you will in some ways it's up to your own interpretation like what's mad in your world what's got you mad what's got you crazy what's got you sad um however you approach those things that's your worldview whether you realize it or not because your worldview is not only going to interpret it it's going to take you somewhere yeah so so true. true So, yeah, so like I said, let's uh, let's put that one on the schedule because I would love to dig deeper into that. But um, for today, we're going to we're going to address, as we said, this last topic uh, as as we're defining our series, the topic of hope in the weakness. Now, um, what do we mean by that? Because weak can mean a lot of things. So. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to defer back to you, Bob. Um, why don't you give us a little definition of, of weakness to start with? Yeah, so I think how we want to look at it, how we want to define it is um, it's, uh, weakness is really founded uh, in our sense of helplessness, that uh, the things are quickly spiraling out of control and that we really have no recourse or remedy to, um, to address the situation. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I'll glom onto that loss of control, lack of control. That's another one that has just been present in every discussion that we've had, right? Yeah. We're sad because things are out of our control. We're angry because things are out of our control. And it makes us a little crazy, but of course, it's going to make us feel powerless. Oh, it really does. And when you say powerless, you suggest then that there are powers that be. So yeah, who are these powers that be anyway? So we're not we're not we're not here to talk about the Illuminati, I, I presume, or I, I don't know. Maybe we are. Uh, run, no. people, run for the hills. And no, no, you know, in today's world, what's really happening, and we've kind of touched. We we have kind of touched on it in our three earlier podcasts, but it is um, people who really uh, are afraid of of. Um, discourse and dialogue and conversation and and when i say afraid 
um, they really want to dictate what is acceptable speech. They want to dictate what is acceptable behavior. And what is acceptable speech and behavior isn't necessarily um, what fit the traditional norms, going back to our conversation about um, craziness, hoping in the craziness. But uh, it's the powers that be that want to set control. And the, the, in, in the most um, disconcerting thing about that is um, the, the measure in which they want to accomplish that is through dissension, through division. And um, as long as we allow that as uh, individuals, as a people, um, then um, we're focused on the wrong things and, and it gives them sort of freedom in the landscape to uh, pursue th- th- their, um, their power uh, agenda. So what's interesting about that is the powers that be, according to what you just said, and I'm tracking with you, but you said something interesting. The powers that be are afraid. <laughs> They're afraid of discord, so they want to control. But I think that's worth pausing and, and discussing the irony of that, that fear can motivate us to act powerfully. Yeah, it, it truly can. Um, Solinsky in um, his Rules for Radicals, um, r- rule number one says essentially, um, power isn't only uh, that which you have, but it's uh, that which your enemy perceives you to have. Yeah, that's a deep thought. So, yeah, so that's it's a response. So, in some ways, power, depending on who you are and how you're wielding it and why you're wielding it, but power can be a response to fear. Yeah, and many times it is, absolutely. And it can be a fear of loss, i.e., um, I have the ball. And if you don't play my game, I'm taking my ball home, and therefore you can't play the game, metaphorically speaking. Right. So I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this because, again, this might be one of those things where, like, oh, yeah, of course, I know that. But do we do we really? Because we tend to look at there's people that have power, and then there's people who don't have power, right? The There's the... Uh, yeah, there's the ruling class, and then there's the peons. There's the there's the elite, and there's the non-elites. There's you know just the, the people that get stepped on, and it's just an interesting dichotomy because you would never think of those who are in power being in that position because they too feel weak. Well, and isn't that the human response anyway? And uh, yeah, it 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 is. Um, a reality in the sense that uh, anybody who has can have or feel a sense of of um, threat to lo- losing what it is that, what it is that they have, um, and in it comes with that a sense of weakness, which is kind of what we're here to talk about. Yeah. But that weakness isn't only those who are um, um, uh, who feel impoverished, if you will, from a any particular point of view. I'm not only speaking um, sort of financially here, I'm speaking in general terms, um, but also the very powerful um, can have a sense of weakness in, in the sense that they have fear. Yeah, and fear, I guess, is 
in many ways, it's kind of the undergirding of a lot of what we're talking about here, a lot of what's going on in the world, because it's fear, if you if you ask what's behind that, because we've been asking that question a lot, uh, what's behind fear is uncertainty, right? We don't know what's going to happen, and it's uh, a lack of control. We want to be in control. Yeah, we do. And again, back to the Christian worldview, um, you know, it's kind of being turned on its head uh, more recently to for people to say, well, the, the Christians don't fear, um, you know, they're radical and um, uh, they, they don't seem to take uh, things seriously in this world and nothing can be further than the truth. But what I would say is that uh, part of that worldview that we possess and share as brothers and sisters in Christ is this sense that this world isn't it that we have a future, we have an eternal, uh, we are eternal beings, and uh, we, we believe very strongly that everybody born into this world, talking about human beings here, are all eternal beings, and it's only a matter of the uh, result or the outcome, and that's the shape of our worldview. Yeah, so now let's camp out on fear for a little bit, because like power, like uh, so many of these things we've talked about, it's it's it can sort of be in the in the eye of the beholder when we talk about fear. Well, of course, some people say I'm fearless and just be reckless and extreme sky diving, bike riding, surfing all at the same time. You know, so there's that kind of fearlessness, just absolute recklessness. Um, there, there's different kinds of fear, I guess, that, that we're there talking are. about. There are. I mean, you just described the weekend warrior, what we call the weekend warrior, right? right? right. Um, probably is austere in their normal day-to-day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and weekend comes and uh, uh, they break out and do what they like to do, and some of it is... Uh, Stuff I wouldn't do, but uh, they they have no fear. Yeah, uh, you know, fear is always um, a sense of um, losing or loss. Um, I love a there's a scripture in Matthew Matthew um, ten twenty eight. It says, uh, "Do not." This is Christ speaking. Do not fear those who can kill the body and not the soul, but fear Him. Reference to God. Uh, who can uh, kill soul and body in hell. Um, That kind of thing um, suggests that uh, we're not to fear really um, this world and the people in it. Uh, We're really to fear Almighty God. And that word fear can have two different connotations. Uh, When it's used in reference to God, that fear is really uh, a sense of awe. Oh, yeah, yeah, and at least two different connotations, right? There's that sense of awe that you speak of and respect, and um, and I want to talk about this now, and I think I want to come back to this specific uh, example of Scripture that you just cited now and later because it, I think there's so much there. Um, so fear. Which kind of fear are we talking about? Are we talking about, you know, 
fear of God, fear for our lives, fear for our safety, fear for our reputation. Um, and then where are we coming from, depending on, you know, what our what, what informs our world experiences? Because all this has to do with weakness, by the way, which is what we're talking about. So how you approach fear, I think, informs how you see weakness. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so a part of that is a measure of what you have and what you feel you can lose. Mm, what you have and what you fear or feel you can lose. That's, that's something worth, yeah, considering. Right. So um, the more one has, and you, you could take it in many ways. I know everybody out in the audience maybe is thinking about um, possessions or wealth. Um, there are people out there that fear because they're in good health. And... Uh, because they it. can lose it. And I've talked to many uh, people my senior who have said, um, if you have your health, you're rich. And um, th those are sagacious um, um, words, uh, really wise. Yeah there's, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in that because truly, you know, all the money in the world can't buy good health, right? And we've heard those stories. Some of us know those stories uh, intimately, whether it's for a loved one or even ourselves. So, yes, that's true. The thought of losing our health, the thought of losing the things that are the dearest to us, especially the things that money can't buy, let alone the things that money can buy or power can can wield for us or, or whatever. It is a scary thing to think of losing those things. So we do we we do tend to focus on our, how can we keep that from happening? How can we mitigate yeah, that? Yeah, the question is uh, we cling to it. Uh, and that's what really is the essence and the starting point of fear when we have something of great value to us and uh, we, in our worldview, we're back to talking in, that, in those contexts, um, don't want to lose them here in this life. And if we really don't feel there's anything but this life and if we feel a threat to these things we cling so tightly to because we value them, whatever that is, um, that produces fear. Okay, so you bring up a great question. We cling, right, because we don't want to lose these things. But what happens when we cling and we still lose that valuable thing, whether that valuable thing is our health or money or certainty of the future? What, what then? Yeah, it turns our world upside it does. down. Yeah, and it gets us feeling, I don't know, maybe a little bit weak, well, a lot weak. Powerless? Yeah, yeah. So what do, what do we do? I mean, what, or, or maybe maybe before we say what do we do, like how do we, I don't know, are you seeing this out there anywhere? Like any examples of this? Like where's it happening right now? Yeah, we've, we've been talking about it uh, all along in our, in our podcasts, the uh, anywhere from this, this idea that the, the things we were raised on, the things that we could rely on, the, the normative things in our life, 
uh, are being turned upside down. You know, what, what you used to believe was acceptable is now not acceptable. It's uh, considered um, something negative um, all the way to, we've talked about the COVID issue and isolation and concern for our kids, our kids well-being in terms of interacting with their peer groups um, all the way to are, are they uh, getting the kind of education in the last 18 months of uh, sort of um, uh, educational no man's land or or just what so it's a lot of that isn't it it is. And in some ways, it feels like it's it's almost too much because we're being inundated on all fronts with uncertainty right now. And it seems to be not only uh, an inundation, but it seems to be a, a tsunami. It seems to be coming um, faster. Yes, with multidirectional and with great force. With great force. That's right. Right. So even, you know, even the most vocal uh, powerhouses out there, I, I think are feeling a little winded right now because it's just, okay, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm up for the fight, but man, this is, this is brutal. It's brutal and it begs the question, so where is all of this coming? Um, who's thinking up all of this to challenge um, and to put uncertainty and, and fear um, in the eyes and the minds of of peoples and groups and subgroups and what have you. Right, right, because I think before you alluded to, okay, well, who are these these people that are empowered, that are fear of losing their own power so they control other people? So are we going to start naming names here or getting all, you know, tinfoil hat? Um, or is there something else we need to talk about here. Is there something else going on that's bigger than even the big names? Well, I think it's a, a darkness. It really is a darkness. Um, whether we're, we're talking about um, just a, a, anything that seeks to divide, keep in mind, you know, we are becoming faster and fur more furiously the um, divided states of America than we are the United States of America. And uh, if we just talk about uh, that, and here I'm not speaking just, um, uh, say, a, a governmental level. I'm talking about us as a, as a people. Right, right. Um, well, there's another, wouldn't you know what, another scripture pops into my mind that we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. And I don't know if this is where you were going, but I think this is where I'm going. So let's go there for a, at least a moment. When we talk about darkness, we're not just talking about, uh, you know, the sun is dimming or whatever Bill Gates wants to do to, you know, inject things into the clouds. We're talking about a spiritual darkness that um, that will co-opt, you know, any anyone willing, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but it it's looking for... I, hmm. It's really just the schemes of the devil. And yeah, I, that's, that's a simple way to put it. Yeah, I, I think it's just looking for willing participants. Is you know, and sometimes we're unwittingly willing when we when we give in to some of those things. So it's not like we're all. I'm not calling people minions of the devil, but I'm just saying that these things are real, and they play upon real people, um, and we're not even necessarily aware of it. We're we're blaming people, often when we really should be recognizing what's going on in the bigger picture. Yeah, and I've got a 
kind of a interesting quote from Malcolm Muggridge, um, which really speaks to um, just the condition of man. Uh, he once said that the depravity of man is at the same time the most empirically verifiable and the most intellectually resisted. Um, it's, it's a fancy way to say that um, us human beings are really fallen people and that we, uh, anybody that's had a newborn kid, um, a newborn child that, that begins to talk, besides mama and dada, know is probably the first thing they learn. And, uh, and we don't have to teach our kids how to misbehave. We have to teach them how to behave. And um, it, it, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek and, and being lighthearted, but on the other side of it, um, uh, we're, we're depraved people. And given the opportunity, <clears throat> um, we can do bad things. Yeah, and I, I think in our right minds, very few of us would disagree with that statement. Um, you know, unless we're under some kind of illusion that, no, we're perfect. And, um, and so I'll, I'll qualify what I just said a moment ago by, yeah, you know, we are living... We are living in a fallen world. That is the spiritual darkness of which I speak. So am I suggesting that we're victims of it? Um, no, I'm not suggesting that we don't have a choice. What I am suggesting, what I think the, the Bible clearly states, is we live in a fallen world, and as such, we, uh, we're subject to, to making choices that go along with, those darkness, with that darkness unless... We acknowledge what you just spoke, that Muggeridge quote. Why don't you give that quote again? Oh, sure. So what he says, and um, the depravity of man is at the same time the most empirically verifiable and, at the, and the most intellectually resisted. Um, what he's saying essentially is it's all around us. No one has to really question, do, bad, do, do people do bad things? Um, we do them all the time, whether we're being curt with uh, our kids or our wife or our husband, uh, or, or whether it's what we see these mass shootings and, and uh, uh, you know, people want to blame uh, sort of the, the instrument of violence, but uh, the, 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 the outgrowth is really uh, the human being that's perpetrating it, whether it's a foul mouth or whether it's uh, uh, a dagger or, or some other instrument of, of um, destruction. And so um, that's empirically verifiable. We see that each and every day. It's a dangerous world out there. And yet for some reason, uh, intellectually, we want to we see the good in people. And that's not necessarily bad, but to... Um, to only want to see the good in people and to deny the evil and then to turn around and blame it on an outside source other than us human beings, i.e. blame it on God or uh, blame it on a faction, if you will, or a subgroup, um, really yes, misses the mark. Yeah, it's them. So, and there, so there's this tension that we're living in, and I'm glad you brought this up because it sounds like two diametrically opposed statements that on the one hand, we are created in the image of God, right? So there, so there is goodness inherent in God's creation because he 
made it. It reflects his glory. It reflects his goodness where, you know, if the rain falls on the just and the unjust, God made this beautiful world and it's for everyone to enjoy. So common grace, grace. So we have that, we have that, that we're living under at the same time. We have to contend with the fact that we have residing within us the capacity for the greatest, most heinous evil imaginable. Like all the things that we're talking about that make people angry and sad and grievous and, you know, just the the worst atrocities of injustice. It's not just them. No. <laughs> it's not. And that's the thing we don't want to face, right? That's right? It's us. It's me. I dare say it's you if you're listening and i'm not saying that the finger because you know i got the five fingers pointing back at me right but it's it's part of this darkness that we are living in because we are living in a fallen world yes we are and um we as fallen people um have an option and yet a part of that fallenness is this fear that we have that says um, it's a zero-sum game, that uh, I want, I desire, I demand, I should have, um, that I already have, and inherent in, in that is you can't, you won't, I won't let you. And... So then these walls of fear start to well up because my fist is clenched for my things, whether it's uh, physical or whether it's metaphysical or whether it's it's uh, just emotional. Yeah, because when you're backed up into that fear wall, I remember this from my days of uh, counseling young women that were facing uh, unplanned pregnancies and, and all the things that go with that. You know, it's just a fact that when you are in that place, you powerlessness makes you the fear of being in a crisis situation makes you feel powerless it makes you feel that you don't have a choice as you just said we do actually have more choices even in what we perceive as powerlessness than we think we do oh absolutely and that's that is the the goal in a counseling situation is to is to distill not distill the goal in a counseling situation is to move past the fear to look at the reality of the situation and expose it no there there really are more options than you think and the minute you get to that point as you've seen in your counseling I'm sure is you start to see people who are feeling helpless and weak start to have a sense of empowerment. Right. Oh, yes. So the more you realize that you have choices, it, it does take that weakness away because because you realize, oh, this is not the hopeless situation that I thought it was. doesn't by any means signify that it's going to be easy. But when we're talking about feeling weak and feeling powerlessness, one surefire way to keep us in that situation is the lie that there's nothing there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I can't change my circumstance. Right. And, okay, so now I'm going to sound like I'm being uh, psychotic and, and go back on that state. But it feels like 
I can't do anything. Or in some, there are some circumstances that you, you can't change by yourself. So what do we do about that? Yeah. So for example, as we talked about earlier, the powers of be that seems to be running, uh, like a juggernaut towards really turning, um, upside everything upside down um you know individually we feel weak if uh, if it doesn't match our worldview or we feel weak as a group because it doesn't fit um uh what we know and right or what we want you know just just i'm sorry to to, oh that's a good point yeah to kind of interject this but i'm i'm thinking back to my you know to my young ladies that i would speak with that were um facing their their choices for their pregnancy. So one of the things that you can't control is, okay, well, right now, no matter what I do in the future, I cannot change the fact that I'm pregnant. That will I can't change, no matter what I do, I can't change that. That's right. And, y- you know, just coming to that realization really allows someone to step beyond it because they recognize it's not something I can any longer focus on so as to change. Right. And I mean, and I, I'm fully aware, just in case I hear, you know, I do hear people in what you're reacting. I'm not bugging your home or anything, but I can read your minds. Um, I know, you know, you can say, well, of course you can change that. You can terminate the pregnancy. Well, yes, you can do that, but you cannot change the fact that you were pregnant. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's what I mean is facing the reality that you're in and saying, okay, I can't change my reality, but I do have a choice about what to do about it. Correct. And I, I, I just think this is so important because so many of us, so I'll take it out of the pregnancy thing because, you know, more than half of us don't experience that in our lives, but we do experience other situations where we're feeling like, no, this isn't just like, I'm having a bad day. This is like a real thing and I can't change it. So you're telling me I have a choice. You have the audacity to tell me that. Well, I kind of do. Oh, you absolutely do. In fact, um, am I being cruel, Bob? No, I think it's, it's actually the opposite. It's being very, very humane. Um, and, um, because until we can recognize that we can't change the past, we can't put the genie back in the bottle, um, there is tremendous closure in that um, where we can set our energy, our mind, um, our psyche, which I see is different, um, on really moving ahead and, and moving towards the possibilities, whatever those are, um, and to not try to focus on if only I could put the genie back in the bottle. If oh, and that's so important. Yeah, because that just feeds into the powerlessness, right? So I I don't like the situation. I don't feel there's any good option. So I'm I'm either going to let somebody else make the choice for me or make make a hasty choice, um, because I I'm just not aware that I have other choices. And then I'm going to lament that I didn't make, you know, choice, like buyer's remorse, right? Choice remorse. Yeah, and, and, it, and there's nothing worse. And it's a, yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Right, because in the end, it keeps you from moving on. It keeps you weak. Yeah, and that, that's just it. And, you know, we talked about this a bit in our last episode that, you know, of the sadness that in a strange way, nobody wants to be sad. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to feel like they're in a weak spot. Um, 
when that becomes the norm, though, there's strange phenomena that happen. Sometimes we get so used to something. It's the dance that we know. It's not that we like it, but that it feels normal. So there's a strange, almost false comfort in staying there because at least we know it. It's, uh, the, I think the old axiom, familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, yeah, and and contempt breeds more familiarity, and it's it's just this this place of okay, I don't like this dance, but I know this dance. I don't know the dance that I don't know, and I don't want to go there because I can deal with the hurt and the pain, or at least I feel I can right now. I I don't know if I can deal with new hurt and new pain. Right, and I mean, you know better than I because you've you've dealt with uh, this subject more. I haven't dealt with it, but I know enough about it that uh, you know battered women. Um, you know, a, a guy like me who has no really exposure to it says, "Well, why don't they just leave?" and while yeah. that's the solution, they can't because it's what they know or... Right. And yeah, so that, that's it's so true. I mean, and we're, you know, I, I hope people realize we're not just trying to be one subject people here. Like I know we were talking about, you know, we were talking about pregnancy, you know, we're talking about domestic violence, um, but these things are transcendent, right? Um, whatever it is, is that has us feeling out of control and weak and unable to do anything about it that it is the, the exact same dynamic we don't like it but to go to venture into the unknown can in some ways be scarier than at least dealing with the powerlessness that we I feel. think uh, by our real human nature it, it is by definition the unknown is always um, more fearful and it is always less appealing than the lot we are in. Right. And yet, so now we're circling and circling, but this is all such good stuff. You know, we we want to stay in that uh, homeostasis, right? Just through a scientific term out to the scientist. But we want to stay in that place and maintain it. But we're also talking about loss because that's the part that's unavoidable. So we might think that we're staying there, but we're still losing. We're losing opportunities. We're losing health. Um, or the very thing that we think that we're trying to maintain can slip through our fingers. And that's not even to mention the things that are happening in the world right now that we have no control over. And dare I suggest that even in the midst of that, it's not as it, it's not as hopeless as we may think it is. We We don't have would put it this way and when we are at the end of ourselves and I, I would like to think anybody out there in the listening audience has had an experience like that I don't wish it on you I just know that in human nature we've all had it and been there numerous times I presume but when we are in the point of despair we get to that point where we're exhausted we just have no much no more energy uh, we're out of solutions. And um, Paul in Second Corinthians says, when I'm weak, I am strong. Um, again, that's coming from a Christian worldview. But when we're really at the end of ourselves, it's really amazing the resiliency of who we are as human beings that we just give up to 
um, trying to swim upstream, if you will, and we start looking at all the possibilities that we would ignore or that we've fought against. And the swimming upstream is the really quintessential example where we finally realize only thing we're getting out of this at this point is tired. We're really just becoming uh, frail. And when we turn around and look and see well, we can still get to the other side, we just need to turn around and go with the, with the flow, go with the, the stream, if you will, the water flow. Um, we realize it gives us strength, it gives us the ability uh, to get beyond it. And, and I think that's a key part of it. Yeah, and I guess, again, it it depends on whose flow you're going with, right? Because there's a relief when you give up and say, all right, I'm just going to go with it because I'm tired of fighting. Um, and when you've come to that place, you know, I can just hear someone saying to me, well, Nancy, I've I've done what you're talking about. I've I've tried to reckon that, okay, this is what I can do about my circumstance. I, I, I know I can't do everything, but I can do it. And I'm still in this place where I feel powerless, where I feel weak, and what can I do? And even then, it almost sounds crazy to say there's still a choice. And that choice goes back to a scripture that you brought up earlier in this conversation out of Matthew. You know, we we're talking about fear. Yeah, well, it just it's Matthew 10, 28. It says... Uh, do not fear those who can kill the body but not the spirit, but fear him who can kill spirit and body in hell. Okay, so again, what does this have to do with anything? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt to tie it in because I, I really think that this does tie into it. That eternity is set in our hearts. Amen. And. There are many things going on right now, right now in your life, right now in my life, right now in the world, many, many things that are giving us reason to fear, reason to feel like it's out of control, reason to feel powerless. And yet, there's something bigger than even your life and my life. Oh, so much so. That's that's great wisdom. So um, when you think about this idea, when you said give up, um, I didn't really want to imply that. What I what I wanted to suggest is quit doing the same thing. It's, right, and I knew that you were saying yeah. that, and okay. I think I pushed back because I just know how people think. That, yeah, because there's, there's two ways of looking at going against the flow, right? There's going against or going with the flow. Of, to get along, go along, get along. Right, but then there's... There's a bigger flow, and it speaks to this bigger picture that we're talking about because there's more to your life and there's more to my life, which doesn't mean our lives don't matter, but there's a there's bigger life for both of us that we don't often think about because we're so caught up in preserving the lives that, that the physical lives, the physical safety, the mental the, the things the things that we can see and hear and 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 touch and taste. Yeah, it's in in what comes to my mind there is the concept of providence. You know, a lot of times people want to talk about miracles and you can you know, it doesn't matter how you, you know what side of the fence you fall on of miracles. Most people think of miracles um as a supernatural 
intervention on uh, things which are natural. And that's a good definition of a type of miracle. Whether you believe in it or not, it's a good definition. There's this other kind of miracle called providence. And it's the, I look at it as almost a greater kind of miracle because it's the aligning of millions and millions of potentialities between circumstances and people and events that in the end come around to uh, bring us to a better place. Now, I would argue that that's God's providence and God aligning all of the circumstances of people and uh, powers and circumstances to take the situation I'm in and uh, mold it, shape it, to cause it to come into an effect, um, if you will, millions of contingencies that end up having a rather astounding and remarkable result. Okay, so while I'm trying to process that, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, here, here's the way I look at it. So providence, this brings into the fact that, you know, I just said a moment ago that there's more to your life and there's more to my life. The fact is, it's not that your life isn't important. It's not that my life isn't important. In fact, our lives are so important that we have this providence, this living God, not just an entity, not just a spiritual force, but a living, creating God who thinks so much of your life, Bob read, and your life, whoever you are listening in this moment, that he has higher thoughts in mind for you than just what you're experiencing now. There's more to this life than than what we're experiencing now. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, an interconnectedness, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And he and he cares. He he truly cares about what we're going through right now, but he has a bigger picture in mind and a greater goal for us because again, we are created for eternity. We have eternity set in our hearts. We do. Yeah, and and we are a means to, to his end and that he has a plan for us and we can either through our weakness accept that and become useful to this action of providence to be a, a part of the means or we can resist it and in the end we won't thwart God's plan we just get it done without us or get it done in spite of us. Right. And okay, so now I want to go back to your going against the flow. To me, that's the exhaustion that you're speaking of. We just, you know, I think about, um, was it Paul, right? And before, before he became Paul, he was, he was going against the flow. He was going against God's flow. He's persecuting Christians. He's putting them in jail. He's doing what he thinks he should do. Totally not uh, availing himself to God's will. He thought he was. He was so religious. But, you know, what did, what did Jesus say to him? It's hard. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads or, you know, it's just he called them yes, out. Yes, he did, didn't he? Yeah, and, and it is. It's exhausting. So wisely, our friend Paul, um, he, he yielded and went with God's flow. Well, and with the interesting thing about Paul, and this may be a, a, a sidebar, but um, two things about Paul. He, he persecuted the church, but Paul was doing it with a total love for God. He was feeling and thought 
in his heart he was doing God's work. And by Jesus intervening with Paul on the road to Damascus, he was essentially saying, your heart's in the right place, but your effort is in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be another great discussion. I think we should have. Um, let's put a pin in that for now because I think, yeah, we could just really go go deep into that one. So I, th- I think just the fact that Paul, a strong man, no doubt, right? He he had lots of strengths. He he was a powerful man, and yet in that moment, he realized his own weakness, and that's when he had to just throw his hands up and say, "Okay, I give up." And it's different to, it's not a resignation to hopelessness. It's a, a resignation to, to hope. <laughs> I mean, that's where we find ourselves. You know, we, we feel powerless because of whatever. Take your pick. You know what's going on in your life. You know what's got yourself weighed down from the world right now. And yet even in these moments, we... We just know that it's in our weakness. That's where we begin to meet the living God. Scripture tells us. In the beginning of this podcast um, was my story about being in the back of a church. Mm-hmm. You know, God mm-hmm. met me there. And uh, uh, apparently my heart was uh, in the right place, but I was moving in the wrong direction. And that's where you first realize that your weakness becomes strength when it meets with God's strength. So I'm going to read this scripture. I know you know it well. Um, it's out of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Brothers, consider the time of your calling. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly and despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence, not even Paul, because as we know, Paul, he went on to you know say, hey, I'm not going to boast in myself. In fact, I boast in my weakness. So if it's even true for Paul, then I guess we have a good example. But the best example we have is Jesus, again, who made himself, who put himself, though being in the very nature God, made himself weak, taking on our weakness so that we could be strong, right? For when... For when I am weak, then I am strong because of what Jesus did for us. So that's the choice we get to make. Even if everything is out of control in your life, even if the whole world seems to be against you and you are backed up against the wall, my friend, you still have a choice. That choice is to go with the flow, as Bob Red would say, to, to, to yield, to stop kicking against those goads and yielding to God's providence and his purpose for your life. Yeah, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that through his righteousness we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. So, Bob, I can't think of anything to add to that. I think that that probably is the most hopeful ending to this conversation that we can have yeah, for now. It's been a great series, Nancy, and uh, I've, I've certainly thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope the audience is as well. Well, 
I've just thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much. And I know this is not going to be the last time that we talk. So I just want to thank you once, once again, Bob, for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure. And there you have it. That's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed this series because I got to say I really have. And if you missed any part of it, you can always go back and find the other three episodes on the isleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of misfits.com. And while you're there, you might as well subscribe because then you'll catch all the podcasts and all the blog posts. And hey, did you know there's even a gallery of beauty? And who couldn't use a little more beauty in their life right about now? I'm just saying. Thanks so much to Bob Red for joining us and for being so generous with your time and your wisdom. And I know a lot of you out there are thinking, you know, I'd like to connect with that Bob Red. How do I do that? Well, hope he doesn't mind, but he is on LinkedIn, you know, so that would be a great way to connect. I'm going to go ahead and put that link in the show notes there. So now you've got to go to the website so you can read the show notes. See what I did? Hey, we've got more great conversations coming your way with, oh, all kinds of fascinating people. So I'm just saying, I hope you hang around the aisle because there's lots of owning of our awkward to do, lots of misfits to love, and oh, so much beauty and truth out there to behold.